Christian, I can't remember if he was a monk or a priest, um, but he was in Italy and in, 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 in Europe over there. And at a certain point, um, the Romans did not want people getting married because if the men got married, then if they died, they'd owe the widower more money. And it was harder to get the men to come serve in their ar- army, their soldiers, Roman soldiers. You know, Roman took over the world at one point. So they banned marriage. And so as a Christian believer, though, these young men didn't want to just sleep with their girlfriends. They wanted to be able to have a marriage and make a covenant before God that they um, you know, were committed to this woman and to raise children in a Christian, Christian home. So St. Valentine would sneak around doing secret Christian weddings. Isn't that so romantic? And so, of course, the Roman government found out, put him in jail, and he ended up dying. So <laughs> now we honor St. Valentine, um, a true martyr for the Christian faith, because he wanted to make sure that the Roman soldiers could get married. So, um, so when we remember him, and I think about love and Valentine's Day, we often think about romantic love. But honestly, it's hard to be in romantic love with someone if you don't truly understand what love is, right? And, and the, the Christian origins behind that. The world was not a loving place before Christ came. Uh, I have a whole Bible study and book and DVD series if you're interested in finding out culturally what was happening before Christians and Christ and the, the whole thought of love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself. All of a sudden, the world changed when, when God came down and human form and began to let humans know that we need to walk in love. And so for us to be able to truly love ourselves, now don't get me wrong, it's easy to lust. Most of you in the first two years of a relationship with anybody, that's all lust. That's all passion and physical attention. And there's chemicals that we know in the brain that change, and it's a high. It's an addiction. That's why you miss the person. You miss your boyfriend. You miss your girlfriend when they're not around. Any of you all that have been married for more than five years, you know that wears off real quick, right? And then all of a sudden, you're living with each other, and all of a sudden, it's like, uh, you need to take care of your own dirty socks. Well, when we were dating, you would take care of them. Well, we're not dating anymore, right? What's happened? The, the, that part, that phase has come off. You're no longer getting a high every time you serve this person. And now it comes down to do you really love them? We knew you lusted them. Now do you love them, right? Love is totally different. But, you know, we all attribute it the same. I mean, you watch a Hallmark movie. I, I wasn't even watching a Hallmark movie. Has any of you ever seen The Last of the Mohicans? It's an older one. See, Roland and I are both admit how old we are. We've seen it. And anyhow, this, this young woman barely knows this guy, and they're, like, passionately kissing because he saved her. And I'm thinking, like, dude, if somebody that I met the day before tried to passionately kiss me, I would, like, well, you don't want to know what I would do, but he wouldn't like it. I would be like, seriously, but that's like how these Hallmark movies make it out, right? They, like you meet somebody one day and they're nice to you, and the next day you're willing to make passionate love and kiss them and, and marry them. And it's like, that's, that's not love, friends. That's, that's a deception. See, whatever God has given us that is good, Satan has a uh, counterfeit. And of course, Satan, you know, you don't counterfeit, you know, $1 bills. Why? There's not a lot of value with that. You don't counterfeit $3 bills. Why? Because those aren't real. Nobody would. You only counterfeit what is of value and of what is real. So the counterfeiters take the time to counterfeit 20s and 50s and 100s. So Satan will counterfeit what he knows is good and real and powerful and worth something. And love 
is worth a lot. So let's look at it. So this month, the thought is, what is love? But I'm going to take it even deeper to say, who is God? You may not have known this, but if you go in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, and you start there in verse 7, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Isn't it, I don't know, have you ever heard that before? God is love. So if we're going to say, what is love, we've got to say, who is God? Because we, we know, we can, I can go to that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 passage where it says love is patient, love is kind, love is, does not, you know, is not easily angered. What is he describing? He's describing who God is. And as we love people, we become like God. But deep down, what we really need to answer the question of is, who is God? Because if we understand who God is, then we can understand why he loves and why we love as we get to know who God is. I know this is complex, but I promise you, I'm going to break it down, and it's going to be really understandable, and it's going to be really cool. And we're going to totally appreciate what love is totally differently. Okay, so if we go back to then who is God, and you look in the Old Testament, you know, people will say, well, God is Jehovah, that's his name, Yahweh, right? Did you know, though, that those words are different words, one's like a Hebrew word, one's a Latin word, and it actually just means Lord. They needed to somehow have a name for God, so we have Jehovah, which means the Lord God. We have Yahweh, which is the Hebrew version of the Lord God. And so... We, we, we are curious, they've always been curious, like, well, what is his name? Like, how do you, because a name describes, like, I can look up, what is the meaning of the name Mary? It means bitter. Did you know that? I'm bitter. But I'm not going to claim that, right? I'm going to say I'm joyful. What does the name Matthew mean? It means gift from God. So when I named Matthew, I said, this is, he's a gift from God, right? Satan tried to take him, he was started having problems right away. When he was born, he was a pound and a half. They kept telling all the doctors all the way through my pregnancy, through his whole first few weeks of life, kept telling me he was going to die, but he made it because I kept praying, and he was a gift from God, so I named him Matthew. So if we give God a name, and it means something, right, then, then they, that would make them help understand who God is, but God would not give himself a name. We see here in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, in verse 10, it says, so God's talking to Moses, right? And he's saying, so now I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I love this part. Who am I to be up here to share with you a message? Who is Nicole to be up there and lead this worship team? Who is she? Does she have credentials? Did she go to school to become a, to become a worship leader? Who am I? Do I have a perfect background? Have I lived this holy, pious life? Who are we? Moses is thinking, like, I killed somebody. I ran away from home. Like, he had problems. Who am I to do this great thing? This is a side note. This is the answer, but I love this part. And he says, and God said to him, I will be with you. Don't you love that? That's enough. Who am I to do this thing? It's not about who you are. It's about who's with you. Who is Nicole to lead the worship? She's with God. God is with her. 
God has called her to do this. Doesn't matter about her credentials. If God is with her, who can be against her? No one. Who am I? Do I have a perfect bathroom? No, but background, but no, but God is with me. Was Moses the perfect person for it? He didn't think so, but God says, I am with you. That's what matters. Who are you? Doesn't matter. God is with you. Take God with you. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that is, I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to tell the Israelites. I am has sent you. Don't you love that? Like God's like, I'm so great. I'm so amazing. I am. I just, I am who I am. There's, there's no describing God. In, in, in Psalms 145, it says God is indescribable. You can't describe him. There's no definition for him. He says, I just, I am that I am. When you, when you think about it, when you read through the Old Testament, a lot of times it'll say, the God of, the Abraham, of Abraham, Isaac, you know, God of, of Jacob, God of the Israelites. Like when other, other you know, um, people would come, they would say, the God of the Israelites, right? The God of David. Why? Because there was no name. They couldn't describe him. They called him Lord, the Hebrew word for Lord, Yahweh. But he has no name. Even to this day, did you know that the Jewish people, they honor this, that he has no name. That when you are reading, like say you're on Facebook and maybe you don't follow some of the Jewish messianic sites like I do, but I do. So I might be learning about something about Israel, like something that's going on over there. And, and you start reading some of the comments and all of a sudden somebody will be just saying something about God and they'll put G underscore D. They don't put, they don't put the vowels in because they're not supposed to write down his name. There is no name for God. So the way that the Jewish people to this day honor him is they don't put any vowels in there. Yahweh, the, the name Lord, the Hebrew name, it's actually, when we spell it out, we put some vowels in it, in our English language. But if you see them write it, they don't put any vowels. It's just A, W, H, whatever. You know, it's just, it's just got the consonants in it. It's like, well, why do they do that? They're honoring God. They're saying that he has no name. He's told us he's so indescribable. He's so great. We cannot name him. Okay, so that's where they were in the Old Testament. That's how the Jewish people live to this day. But now, see, we're not Jewish. I mean, you might have been born and raised Jewish, but if you're here, you probably have accepted Christ. So it means you're at least a Messianic Jew. And so us as Christians who believe the Messiah has come, we have a little bit of an advantage of knowing and understanding who God is because Jesus came. See, the Old Testament kept prophesying about a Messiah coming and making things clear and making things understood and, and bringing us back into a relationship with God. And so when Jesus came, all of a sudden Jesus begins to try to understand and explain to us human minds who God is. Now, this is the first time we hear of God being referred to as Father God and of Jesus, the Messiah, being referred to as the Son of God and then hearing about the Spirit of God. Now, 
I will say this, though. The Old Testament does talk a lot about the Spirit of God coming and the Spirit of God being poured out. I did talk to a friend of mine who was Jewish at one point and asked her if she was still waiting for the Messiah, and she said, yes, Mary, we believe the Messiah is still coming, but it's going to be his spirit, not in a human form, like you have Jesus in a human form. We're waiting for God's spirit to be poured out. And so I was thinking, like, oh, we've got both. We got both. We got the Holy Spirit, and we have Jesus. And he came and explained to us, and now we can have a relationship with the Father. But, you know, I... I you know, I explained to her, not quite that passionately, but I had a wonderful conversation with her about what Christians actually do believe. So the Messiah came, and Jesus begins describing to us because of what he did. And you can read through the book of John. Um, this is really clear in the book of John. Start about chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. Those, those, John did a really great job of writing down the last sermons, the last ex- explanations Jesus had for the disciples. Um, And he talks about, I must go, but now that you can use my name to talk to the Father. Um, Think about the Our Father prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. He didn't say, my Father art's in heaven. you got to pray to me. He said, no, you could pray to our Father. He is now a Father to all of us. This is how God is going to be explained. This is now a name that you can kind of understand. You know the definition of a father, what a father, a good father should do, right? And it's still hard for us to comprehend because God is so great. But we begin to see this explanation of God in three parts. Now, this historically has caused a lot of confusion. I hope you guys are good with all this understanding. Like, I wanted to get to a point, but I want you to understand this. Historically, this has caused a lot of confusion because the Muslims will claim that um, we worship three gods. And they'll say God is just one, and, and, and you guys worship Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and we just worship God, you know? And, and other people will say, you know, like, you know, like the Jews will say, like, well, you guys worship three deities, but see, it's one. But for us and our human minds to understand, we have to understand him in three different parts. There's different parts of him. And we see this explanation of this plural all the way back in the original Hebrew writing that Moses recorded that the Jewish people have to this day that we have in our Bible, which is the Old Testament, you go back to Genesis, and you go to chapter 1, he's describing the sixth day and what he did. And it says in verse 23, it says, And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let us, now it's the sixth day, the sixth day, let us, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each to its own kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. I love this passage here because, you know, well, I won't get into the whole evolution debate, but we see that microevolution, they call it, right, where they... Two different dogs will breed, and then all of a sudden, like, maybe it's better in that area to be really small, so then those are the only ones that survive. That's not actually evolution. That's biblical. It's they're producing after their own kind. They're producing different kinds of dogs, and they, they become, you know, what they need in that area. It's kind of like all the moths in a birch forest, all the brown ones dying off quicker than the white ones. And so then the white ones breed, and now it's only white ones. It's not a different species of moth. It's just those kinds are the only ones that survived in that area. 
But he keeps going in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Now that wasn't changed in my Bible or changed in her version. That's just, that's what is in the Jewish Bible. As God is describing what he's going to do with mankind, he says, in our image. Why is he already all the way back in Genesis referring to himself in the plural? Because he knew that one day he would send the Messiah and the Messiah would describe himself in the plural. Because he's Father, he's Son, he's Holy Spirit. We see in the beginning of the book of John, it says, when God created the heavens and earth, that Christ was there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. So Christ Jesus, the Son that came down, he was already there with the Father. They, they worked together. They were so, so big, so many parts of him, we can't understand it, that he was there at the beginning. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Then he says in verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. Isn't that like interesting that in one minute he's saying we're going to create them in our image and then the next minute he says I created them in my image, in his image. He went from plural to single. Why? Because he is both. It's so indescribable. It's so much beyond what our human mind can concept. We are not worshiping three different gods. We're worshiping the God who is explained to us finally with some names, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in three different ways so we can have, understand the concept of who he is. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them. Male and female, he created them. I love that. What I really think is like so cool because, you know, they use this image of father and we see that and Jesus came down as the son. But he says that both man and female were created in his image. And we're all so diverse. We have different colored skin, different colored hair, different colored eyes, different kinds of personalities, different heights, different sizes, different shapes. Why? Because God is diverse. We're all created in his image. And see, the thing is, is one person cannot be exactly like God. So he gives me a little part. My boisterous personality, that's one part. This quiet personality, that's another part. God is both quiet and he's both loud. He's both smart and he's both creative. He's this and he's that. And he's, he's all these things because we're created in his image. Okay, so we get back to this understanding then of, okay, we see biblically in the beginning He's already looking at himself as plural. The Messiah now has come, and he's describing us, God, and saying, "There's he's Father, he's Son, he's Holy Spirit, and you can have access to that. When you pray, I want you to pray to the Father. You use my name to have authority when you're thinking I'm not worthy, because that was the big issue. Adam and Eve didn't feel like they were worthy. Children of Israel didn't feel like they were worthy to have a relationship. So what's the difference now? Because of what Christ did on the cross, we know we're still not worthy, but we can use the name of Jesus to be able to come into his presence and be worthy. And so throughout the New Testament, it goes on and on and on, explaining to us now who God is and how we can understand him in three parts. But it's still hard for our human mind to understand. So I brought an illustration. Okay, what is this? It's an egg. It's an egg. None of you said, Mary, it's an eggshell with an egg white and an egg yolk in the center of it. None of you said that to me, did you? 
you just you looked one thing at, but is, are those three parts here? Yeah, so like I opened one up earlier today, and I put the yolk in here, I put the whites in here, and I put the shell in here. So that is this, correct? So we just refer to this as an egg. See, God is just God, right? But there's three different parts to an egg. You have the shell, you have the white, and you have the yolk. Now, if I were to hold this up and say, what is this? What do you guys say? Yolk, right? It's the egg yolk. None of you would say, that's an egg, because it's, it's not, right? It's part of an egg, but it's not the egg, right? It's part of the egg. It's the egg yolk. Same thing with this. If I were to say, what is this? What would you say? The eggshell, right? Now, what's interesting is you can't really... You need all three, don't you? Let's see. Oh, it's a good egg. It didn't crack. See, if I was home, I would call one of my dogs in, and they would just lick it up. You know, eggs are good for dogs, but... See, now, if I were to take this and just drop it, would it have bounced like that? No. It would have made a big mess, right? Because you need the shell to keep it all together, right? Now, what am I trying to show you here? We have a so we got, right? You got the yolk, you got the white, you got the shell. What is my point here? Something can be one thing but still be three different things, can't it? You don't, you don't look at this and you say, oh, Mary, you got three eggs. I don't have three eggs there, do I? I have three parts of one egg. And that's what I want us to get is, see, God is three parts of one thing. So we have God the Father, we got God the Son, we got the Holy Spirit. And they all have different functions, but all together they are God. And so as, when Jesus came, he's trying to explain to us who God was, and he's trying to say, I want you to love him, and I want you to walk in love. Why? Because God is love. So as I go through this month and begin to describe to you how God is patient, how God is kind, what love is, and how we apply that to our practical lives, I first wanted you to understand who God is. Now, as we, as we learn, we're going to learn more like what does the Father part of God represent? Why, you know, what is the Jesus part? And how does that affect my relationship with the Father? How does the Holy Spirit bring it all together, right? And so I just wanted you to show you this as an example of how something can physically be three different things, but really it's just one thing, just the different parts of it. Now, we're made in God's image, right? Just, we just read you that in Genesis. So I find that interesting that throughout the Bible it talks about how we're body, soul, and spirit. Just like God is three parts, we're three parts. Why? Because we're made in his image. So all the way from the beginning, we have that, right? We have that three different parts. So all together, this is God. Well, it's, this is an egg, but all together, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is God. Okay? But there's different parts of God and with different functions, right? So Jesus told us this in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 19. Right at the end, as, as he's about to ascend, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, he didn't say, you know, just, just baptize them in the name of the Lord. 
Now, we would have heard him say, baptize him in the name of Yahweh, but that word just means Lord, right? The Lord God. Because, because you know, that is just a descriptive word of Lord. I, I can lord over you. I can be the Lord of the land. It's just, it's just an adjective of, of what this person is doing, how they're acting, how they're the king of the land. They're, they're the, the leader of the land. They're the Lord, okay? We don't really use that word very much, but 100 years ago, you would have understood that. Like, anybody can be Lord of their manor right? Lord of a castle. I can lord over you. Your boss is trying to be the lord. We've, we've tried to, as Christians in a modern-day America, use that word just selectively for the Lord our God. But he didn't say, just go and baptize people in the name of the Lord, because you go into different parts of the world, and they would be, well, which lord? Right? The lord of my, of my house, or the lord of this town, or the lord of this city? Right? What, what lord? So he is finally trying to give them a little bit more of a definition and a name by saying, by the Father, the Son, and again, he says, Holy Spirit, because again, there's all kinds of spirits. There's evil spirits, right? And there's, but he's saying the Holy Spirit, meaning God's Spirit. And he begins to describe and say, okay, look, God is in the sky. He's always looking at himself as plural because there's so much of him as he's talking to humanity. He has to describe himself that way. But then he can turn around and say, but I made it in his image, right, in a single because it's God, but there's three different parts. And so when he sent down part of himself, the Messiah part, the Jesus part, the Son, he is the one that comes down in human form in that human body to show us what we can do as humans, to be that example, and to go to the cross, to be that ultimate sacrifice. But Jesus says to them, again, if you read through in John chapter 14, 15, 16, he says, now that I've come and done this, now you can use my name and you can pray directly to the Father. So when we pray, and we're going to learn more about this, we can pray, Father God. And this was huge. Culturally, this was huge for the Jewish people because to call somebody your father or to be on the same level with somebody, to use the family name, that meant a lot. Because normally, you would be equal then with that family. You're saying, okay, and, he, and we use that term that you're adopted in. So he wants to use this concept for us that even though God seems so far away and so grand, and when you're just looking at the shell, it looks impenetrable, right? It looks like I'm not, I don't have access to that yoke, right? But God gives us permission because of what Jesus did. Now that when you use the name of Jesus, that we can have access to the Father, even though he seems so far in there. And so... As we begin to go through this month of February of what is love, but who is God, we're going to see and take apart the different parts of God and who he is. Why does this matter? Because the more understanding of God you have in your life and the different parts of who God is, you can then apply it to your life. Your relationship with God can grow deeper. You'll begin to understand how What's the point of the Holy Spirit? You know, I'll have people say to me, why can't I just pray to God? I just say, God, help me. Isn't that good enough? I'm like, well, number one, the Bible says, Jesus said, when you pray, pray to the Father in my name. Now, do I think that there's ignorance and that God understands our ignorance? Absolutely. But should I continue to walk in ignorance or should I learn the proper way of doing it, right? It's kind of like, you know, being at work, and, you know, and your boss says, I really want your bank account number so I can direct deposit it. I'll just write me a check. And they just keep going to the human resource department to write the check. You know, you can keep doing that for a while, but eventually they're going to say, no, I'm not going to do it anymore. I need your bank account number. i got to direct deposit it. That's the law now, right? Ignorance says, well, I don't want to do that. I don't know my number. 
And eventually, if you stop getting your paycheck, you're going to get really mad. And it's the same thing with prayer. It's like if we know and understand who God is, we're going to be able to understand how to directly access those blessings that he wants to give us because we're doing it the right way. We, we could say, oh, I don't just pray to God. Which God? The God of the Mexicans, right? The God of the Muslims, the God of the Hindus. Like there's lots of gods out there. Which God are you praying to? Well, he knows in my heart. I'm like, okay. But Jesus made it very clear. When you pray, pray to the Father in my name. Anything you ask the Father in my name, he shall do for you. If you have faith and you believe. So we're, we're starting to understand now the importance of understanding who God is as Christians, what Jesus told us about who God is, and how we can address him and incorporate him into our lives. So as we understand who God is, we're going to be able to walk in that love. We're going to be able to understand love. We're going to be able to understand it beyond just lusting for somebody and wanting to give them hugs and kisses, but what true love is, because we're going to understand who God is and the interactions between God the Father and us, Jesus the Son and us, the Holy Spirit in us, so, the farther we get away from God, the less love we'll have in our heart. You know, and a lot of times people say, well, you know, the opposite of love is hate. And some people say the opposite of love is indifference. I would say the opposite of true love is fear. Because when you are truly with God and, and close to God and understand love, you won't walk in fear. Because you will have nothing. It says perfect love casts away fear. Why does love have to cast away fear? Why doesn't it say perfect love casts away hate? Why doesn't it say perfect love casts away indifference? No, it says perfect love, it's a biblical scripture, casts out fear because fear is the opposite of love. And so there's nothing to fear if you truly are in love and you understand love. So we're going to learn more about God. So I'm going to read you the rest of this passage here in 1 John. I read you uh, the first couple verses there about how God is love. But let's read it in context. Let's read it all together. It says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son, I love that, first part of God, right, son, into the world that we may live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him, and he is in us. He has given us his spirit, another part of God. And we have seen and testified that the Father, I love this passage because now it's talking about the Father, that the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. 
this passage, I think, does a great job of trying to explain to you there's three parts of God, right? There's the Father who sent the Son, and now because we believe in the Son, now we have the Holy Spirit in us. But ultimately, it's all wrapped up in love. And as we get to know who God is, his love becomes so deeply inside of us that all we can do is love the people around us. Again, that doesn't mean we're rugs and doormats to be walked on. There is boundaries in love. It says love protects. God is a just God. But we can still have boundaries and walk in love so that people can be like, wow, I don't know who God is, but I know there's something different in you. Right? When we begin to understand who God is, we apply it to our life, when we begin walking in that love, all of a sudden it changes who we are, how we react to others, how others perceive us, and how they perceive God. Because we become then living, walking representatives of God. The whole definition of a Christian is a follower of Christ, Christ-like. If you're saying, I'm a Christian, that means you're Christ-like. Or do your actions line up with that? Right? I mean, we believe in Christ, and so we might go to heaven when we die, but we might not be walking it out and living in that fullness while we're here on earth. Mainly because we probably are ignorant. We don't understand. We don't know how. We don't know where to start. So I'm going to pray over you that as we go through this series of understanding who God is and what love is, that you will have a greater understanding. And then we're going to have communion, so don't run off. Um, and again, when we do this communion, we're going to be recognizing what Jesus did on the cross and that his blood was shed for us. When we take the communion and remember what he did, we do this once a month, that it, then we're putting and inviting him in. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you loved us so much that when you sent the Messiah, you had him explain more of who you are. To the Jewish people at, at the time, you, you explained it as, I am that I am. You didn't have the time or the person to explain to them. But through Jesus, you finally did. You are that you are. You, I am that I am. And you are the Father. And you are the Son. And you're the Holy Spirit. And your love is so great. And these different parts of your love for us are represented in those three different ways, and we just ask you to continue to explain that to us so that way we can receive the love that the Father gives, the love that the Son gives, and the love that the Holy Spirit gives, and we'll be able to apply it to our lives. We're trusting in you to help us understand this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so the ushers are going to come forward, and they're going to pass out the little communion cups. These are all prepackaged. So feel free to take the top part off, separate out your wafer if you want to hold on to it. Um, we'll take it all together at once. If you want to take it ahead, that's totally fine. But if you um, can separate those out and hold on to those. But let me bless that before you go there. So, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I consecrate this bread and juice for Holy Communion. Father, may your Holy Spirit fill it in the name of Jesus. We pray, remember, and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I just love um, looking at the different parts of God and understanding the different um, ways of God. And, you know, Jesus coming down and living this life. What's really interesting is if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see how many times that Jesus would go and pray to the Father. 
And he would say, there's nothing that I say or that I do that I don't do what the Father has done. I'm doing what I see the Father do. And so he definitely, even though he was there and could have done his own thing, he was looking to the Father because he knew that the Father had his best interest in mind. I'm going to turn now to Matthew chapter 26. We're reminded of... Uh, what Jesus said and did as he was getting ready to go to the cross. And they were getting ready to eat. And normally the uh, Passover meal, which we're going to be talking about when Easter comes up, was to remember that the lambs were a sacrifice and their blood was put on the doorposts of the homes so that the death angel that came across in Egypt would pass over them. See, there is a judgment and there is death that comes to all of us. But because of what Jesus did, we instead of taking the blood of the lamb and putting it on the doorposts of our homes, we take the blood of Jesus and we put it inside of us. We put it on our hearts. And it marks us as his. And so now when we die and death comes to all people, we get to live again because the death has to pass over us because we're applying the blood of Jesus to our hearts says here in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and while he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Take the bread. Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, we're so thankful that you were willing to have your body broken for us, that the punishment that was put on you brings us peace. Help us receive the peace the blessings, the healing to our body, and the forgiveness of sins. In verse 27, it says, Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take the cup. Jesus, we're so thankful that your blood was shed to bring us forgiveness of our sins. We receive that forgiveness right now. Help us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless everyone. The Blessing Shop is open. If um, you're helping with the floor, head over to the Fellowship Hall. We'll get that carpet up. If you're able to go outside and sweep off some of the coats and blankets and hang up anything that might be out there before you leave, we appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you all next week. Thank you.